We were back in Central City, into the tender mercies of John Broom, Gardner Fox, and Carmine Infantino. Our recent visit to the elongated man had primed us to visit the hero that he'd started alongside. We'd see what we could learn about The Flash today. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reverse Flash. Yes. Oh, I love I love Zoom so much. <laughs> um, just the journey he goes on as a character, I, depending on which Zoom you're talking about. I um, do feel like that is a character that benefits, like many of the... Actually, yeah, like many of the Flash characters, and many of the rogues gallery, like he benefits so much from knowing that he does eventually get used in interesting ways. I like even with the top being just such a wacko. I love I love how the Flash bad guys are just so strange as a unit in the fact that they are cooperative. They are they are the supervillain mafia as close to the supervillain mafia as you're going to get, like excluding intergang, which is literally like yeah. an organized crime unit. But they're none of them are supervillains. They're just they're just criminals who steal technology versus like, no, the the rogues are literally a mafia of colorful villains that all hate the Flash. Literally colorful <laughs> so Oh, yeah. Like, so much so that they put Batman's villains to shame, I think. I think yeah. the rogues are a better gallery than Batman's villains, mainly because Batman's villains can't do anything as a unit, and the rogues can. I think there's a level of, comp- like, teamwork and removal of their of their own uh, hubris to work together there mm-hmm. for, at there, times that I'm like, that's a little bit impressive. There's a... Uh... <laughs> A mundaneness to them like as much as they are garish and i mean let's be clear like the trickster's wearing what is it orange and blue striped shirt and then yellow and black yeah. striped pants uh but it, like but character wise like the things that they do it's outlandish but it's not it's, i mean i guess it's not like gothic grandeur is maybe a way to put it none of them are None of them are so far gone that they belong in an insane asylum. True. They are, to, I think to your point, I think that's a great way of explaining it. They are mundane in the fact that they are really relatable people. They're just dudes who dress up funny. They are blue-collar villains. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they are able to make their gadgets and what have yous, but you don't see one of them doing, I don't know, Joker levels of ne- of nonsense. Like, they do themed crimes. Mm-hmm. I will 100% own up to them doing themed crimes, but not like Joker, let's burn the world nonsense. Yeah. Or Riddler, like, I will sacrifice everything for a riddle. You know? <laughs> They're not, uh, two things there. First, I think it would be fair to say none of them are obsessed. Yeah. And two... Do any of them have, except for, except for Reverse Flash, do any of them have, like, an ideology? No. I think that's kind of what I like about them. They are yeah. all pretty much get-rich-quick get villains. None yeah. of them are, like, inherently like, ah, yes, the world shall know my brilliance. It's and, more or less just, I'm a bank robber with a fun gun. And that there's no, 
there's no point to make there's no uh money burns there's no like will the will the two like cruise ships choose to blow up the other cruise ship there's none of right. that uh it's just <laughs> they're, they're just like us <laughs> yeah the, really they really are lifestyles of the you know garish and evil um they're they really like i think the closest villain in batman that probably is relatable to the the rogues and flash is the penguin that's fair he's just a dude who happens to have a theme i i'm gonna go a step further with that though i i feel like a key part of the penguin is at least as i understand him is the need for other people to understand that he has the power in this situation and i think yeah i think you're right but other than that yes they're 100 percent with you i i think the rogues similarly have a like i want to be top dog mentality and i think that's kind of the thing with a penguin where he's like he wants respect Mm -hmm. he he wants to be the guy that everybody fears and respects he wants he wants the life that was promised to him by virtue of being a cobble pot versus Riddler is like, I must prove I'm the smartest man in the world and Batman's ultimate foe. Harvey Dent is obsessed with justice. The Joker is an agent of chaos, I guess. Croc just wants to be left alone. You know, like a lot of like freeze has a mission to, you know, destroy the pharmaceutical industry so that he can help his wife. Poison Ivy is an eco-terrorist. Mm-hmm. You know, the rogues are, I, I want to prove my cold gun is better than heat waves flamethrower. <laughs> I want to prove that my boomerangs are a legitimate way of robbing banks. Like, it's more or less just like they're out to prove that their gimmick is superior as opposed to I have a mission statement. You know, they're all they're all just jobbers trying to get over. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing. Like, I don't know the rogues as well as you do. Would it be fair to say that if you switched one rogue in for another in any given plot line, I'm not saying it would fit perfectly, but like you change you change some dialogue to fit the way they talk and how they'd react to specific circumstances maybe some but kind of interchangeable they're fairly interchangeable i mean honestly if you just turn captain cold's bullshit into fire he's just heat wave mm-hmm. which is the whole point of their di- duality mirror master is very easily just the trickster what weird thing with mirrors can i do versus the trickster is <laughs> what weird thing with toys and joke products and magic can i do Abra is just Weather Wizard. Replace magic with meteorological nonsense. Abracadabra and Weather Wizard are fairly much the same character. I forgot Abracadabra stuck around. Like, Boomerang is just Trickster. I have a weird thing that I'm going to theme myself over. Or Top. Like, Boomerang mm-hmm. is, just the, is just Top. Like, they're, they're all just kind of each other with just different toys. Which is, I think, why they work together so well. They all understand they are all very similar people. None of them is so crazy that they can't work together. Until you get further and further in comics when it starts to be really like, Captain Boomerang is the butt of a joke. They don't (laughs) like him, but they need him. 
like he's unreliable and money grubbing. When you start getting actual characterization, like Captain Cold becomes the guy who's smart. Okay. He becomes the leader, like the de facto leader of the rogues because he's the one that can plan very well. Whereas Heatwave is kind of unreliable because he's a pyromaniac and they kind of have to keep him in check. Mirror Master, depending on which one it is, because there's like three of them and they all end up dying. Some of one of them's a drug addict. And they have to like keep him on a short lease because Captain Cold's like, hey, you have to stop doing coke and going nuts while we do these jobs. Um, Trickster kind of falls out of love with being a bad guy. And like there's a guy who tries to be him who's much younger and he doesn't fit in with the group. Weather Wizard is one of three brothers who keep dying. That's right. I forgot about that. Like, they're all related to each other, so they all are in this because they're trying to take over for their brother and they hate the Flash because the Flash is, quote-unquote, responsible for their deaths. Like, they all have, later as they start to get characterized, they all start to be people, but again, they are still just guys. They don't ever go into a, like, they don't, like, Zoom is the Joker. Zoom is an obsessive psychopath who is psych- who is a sociopath as well, who is fixated on the Flash. Both versions of Zoom, Hunter Zolomon and Eobard Thawne, are both obsessed with Barry and Wally, respectively. Like, or rather, Eobard Thawne is obsessed with Barry and Zolomon is obsessed with Wally. Like... They're both di- they're both the same dude. They just go about their obsession in a different way, but they are equally fucking nuts. Like the the one Flash villain that really I think beyond Zoom it stands out is Grodd. Mm, that's fair. Grodd has an agenda. It is to be ruler of Gorilla City and by extension the world. Like he's the only one with designs of world domination, and he's a giant monkey. He doesn't even fit in with the rest of the rogues, if I understand correctly. When you actually like go into stories about the rogues, like they don't talk to Grodd, and Grodd doesn't talk to them. He's almost not part of the rogues. <laughs> like he's he's too like no, I'm above this. I'm above the petty thievery, and I just don't like the Flash. Whereas they're like, nah, we want to kill the Flash if we get the chance. But also, like, we have our own cemetery. Is that so is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, they have they have a pocket dimension just for all the rogues that die, huh. where they all like bury the rogues it's a it's a god now i have to find the name for yeah it's one i love the rogues because they're such a unique dc thing um yeah avernus is their cemetery um which is just like a pocket dimension that somebody like wrote in at one point and it is the graveyard that the rogues bury each other in that's really cool um which i I think I think they are an infinitely more interesting group of individuals than the Rogues Gallery for Batman because they're all individuals. Mm-hmm. The Rogues are an organization. Flash has so many bad guys; he's got a wing about them in his museum. I just I don't know. There's something really cool about like yeah. this guy. They hate you so much they made an army. <laughs> they're unionized. Like these guys. Like they. They they all got jackets. They're part of a club of how, about how much they hate you. Versus Batman's bad guys can't stand to be around each other, and Superman doesn't have enough bad guys to do that with because they're all aliens that he kicks the crap out of. You know, it's like I like that Flash of all characters has like a hundred bad guys that hate him. Nice. Anyway, you know, villainry aside, we are going to be talking about the Flash's rogues. Yes, Joanne, I know we took we took some time there, but this is all a good segue into 
uh, The Flash, number 142, February 1964, uh, which starts with The Trickster. Um, the Trickster steals a child's detective kit and gimmicks <laughs> right. all the objects within the detective kit to help him commit crimes just because he, th- he finds the irony of a detective kit helping him commit crimes really funny. Um, and Flash stops him. Um, second story in the Flash, number 142. Criminals in a different dimension are harvesting and uh, charging some tools with the Flash's speed force to commit crimes in their own dimension, and Flash has to go to that dimension to stop them. I really appreciate that the Flash's speed force is an integral part of... It is used in a way that indicates that it is a natural force. It is something that other people can tap into very simply, unlike Green Lantern's ring. They have to steal his ring to do stuff. The speed force is a weirdly amorphous byproduct or funneled energy that he is able to absorb that other people can tap into in different ways. I think that is a very unique thing that they do with the speed force, even this early in comics to make it very plot relevant mm-hmm. to, which eventually I think will evolve the speed force into being what it is currently in the DC universe, which is one of the more powerful forces of the universe. Like it is a primordial force that any speedster in the DC universe taps into when they move. Like, so it's kind of very interesting that like, even this early on, we're seeing people kind of mess around with the speed force and not to that aim, but I can definitely see the foundations being laid for another writer at some point to be like, well, if the speed force is something that other people can manipulate, it must be an, a naturally occurring phenomenon, which is really neat. Yeah. I kind of enjoy that. Like the Flash, number uh, 143, March 1964. I love silly supervillain names. Uh, T.O. Morrow. Yes. Uh, the super science villain that I think we've seen once before. Um, uses a machine to clone Hal Jordan and cause problems for Barry Allen, um, who finds out that Hal Jordan's been arrested. All five Hal Jordans have been arrested, and Barry has to communicate with the real one to find out why these other Hal Jordans who can turn into Green Lantern are committing crimes. They find out how they were made. They fight Tio Amaro. Um, and Tio Amaro, Disney dies by tripping over something into a cavern in his laboratory and, and is never seen or heard from again. Um I have in my I have in my notes. Will we see him again? Question mark. Parentheses. Yes. Um, just because he's a he's a comics bad guy and uh, he's not Ivo. I mean, like he doesn't make a Mazo, but Tio Morrow's around. I think eventually Tio Morrow is credited with creating um, Red Tornado. Oh, so he oh. will show back up at some point. Flash number one forty four, May nineteen sixty four. A guy exposed to atomic radiation gets the ability to manipulate and change his body to accomplish any goal he wants. Very vague power. Very multiple man in the way that like he can just turn into things. Oh, yeah. um, Kid Flash, or uh, Flash eventually stops this guy. And, I mean, he doesn't... Co- this guy never comes back. I've never heard of this guy ever again. I don't imagine he's going to be a recurring bad guy. It was just a funny thing. Um you know, this guy got blasted by atomic radiation like Bruce Banner and didn't turn into the Hulk or Firestorm or any other cool character. He gets to just turn into stuff and it eventually wears off. Yeah, he, he gets like the word. Yeah, he basically becomes a one-man Wonder Twins. It's very strange. Second story in this issue, Kid Flash helps uh, a 
jock who's very convinced that he doesn't need to learn nothing because he's so strong uh, to understand the value of an education. And they both stop some criminals who are like stealing from a local, like they're stealing, these criminals are stealing the payload from like the local shoe factory in Blue Valley or something. There's a lot of payroll theft this year in Flash comics, which I found very interesting. Like blue collar, like villains stealing from blue collar organizations, the payroll that would be used to pay those workers. <laughs> I was like, that's a that's one we haven't done before. Good job, you know, <laughs> Flash comics. Flash number 145, June 1964. Flash uses a kid's science project to catch weather wizard. A child has effectively made a weather predicting machine that somehow is able to predict the powers that weather wizard is going to use in his crimes. Um, that was an interesting episode or, ah, I did it. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, that's an interesting issue because Flash actually gets to talk science with somebody for a bit. We get to see how much he that's like kind of nerds out with this kid about like meteorology and science. And I was like, ah, it's a cute moment of like, remember Barry's a nerd. Um, second story in this issue, a, a princess Leia lookalike from a speed dimension named Darala Khan uh, shows up in Central City and she's like, why is everybody moving so slow? Hey, that guy's moving the correct speed. And she runs up to Flash and she's like, what's wrong with everybody? He's like, oh, you're moving too fast. Here, let's slow down. And he kind of teaches her how to move at our relative normal speed in our dimension, which I guess gives off a radiation that blows stuff up when she slows down. And it's a very deus ex machina story where just like her slowing down gives off radiation that blows things up and makes it easy for criminals to do stuff. So she goes back to her own dimension. Okay. There was a minor subplot of Iris being a little concerned that Barry was like hanging out with this chick. And then when he explained who she was, she was like, oh, I'm 100% in on helping you like acclimate this woman. Iris doesn't come off very well in these issues. We're not really writing about her because a lot of her interactions are largely mean and not kind like either she's berating barry for being late there's the one uh the guy who can turn into things turns into barry at one point to disguise himself and treats irish or treats iris really poorly and then she like is really rude to barry because she thinks it was that guy and like that's kind of deserved but like there's a lot of weird moments of iris being kind of cold that i have not particularly enjoyed after going from after going from yeah. Sue Dibney to Iris Allen, it's kind of like, uh. I want to push back on that a little bit. I There's something under that, I guess, is kind of what I think about it. Um, I agree that most of the times that we see her on camera, she is not a beneficial force. She is also not understanding at first response, usually. Like, it, kind of exactly what you lay out there of, hey, I... I'm suspicious of the fact that Barry is with this other woman. Oh, flip a switch and immediately, okay, we're we're chill. Uh, I understand now. It, I think that's the thing for me is I, what did I write down? There was a particular phrase that I wrote down, uh, resilient. I thought that Iris and Barry's relationship was resilient, which is a mile away from lovingly playful with uh, Sue, Ralph and Sue, 100%. But she doesn't spiral. She doesn't get overwhelmed it's like there's a point where she's kind of needling uh barry and needling is i guess an intentional word it is the way she is being written of hey like why aren't you like pursuing the trickster what why why are you doing nothing in particular right now and he's like you know what 
yeah, you're right. That is the most important thing I can do. More important than our, our date right now. And she's like, well, you know what? I guess that's me and my big mouth. Uh, on the one hand, it's not, it's not an unreservedly positive interaction, but there's a, a solidity there, I guess, uh, of at least, well, we're, we are two people who are invested in us continuing to get along where we'll, we might spike, but we'll trend back towards stability. I, I guess that there's something there where she doesn't, she doesn't come off as an antagonist, but she's definitely not coming off as a good force. (laughs) She's she's an obstacle. She's an extra objective in his issues. He has to maintain his secret identity. He has to do something right by her in each time. He has to show up to the date on time. He has to make it up to her in some way. She is an additive objective. She is never she's never a net positive every time. I agree, but I also I think it's worth clarifying that I at least in my read of it she is adding an extra thing that needs to be checked off, but it's always a little, it's not a B plot. It's not, oh, how do I like safeguard the rule my secret identity? Sure. Like, that's not the, it's not a focus. It's more like the kind of thing that gets resolved in the like last page of, and that, and now that that story is over, you can take, and you can make up for it. So, something like that, I guess. I, I would argue that actually makes their relationship weaker hmm. because it's not a B plot. It is a throwaway thing that is achieved by the rest of the story. Their relationship is so unimportant that it is resolved by everything else getting resolved. It is not a focus. Like in a Green Lantern story, having to maintain his secret identity Mm -hmm. while also on the date, that is the challenge. Or in a Superman story, trying to make sure that Lois doesn't find out he's Superman. This is kind of just like, oh, I better finish this before I go to dinner with Iris tonight. It is so not important. It is just always wrapped up in a bow. And I feel like that weirdly makes it less impactful and their relationship is less important to the characters because the story really is about Flash doing the thing and less about Flash, his his relationship as a person and his identity and then this other thing. I'm going to say a thing, and you tell me whether this seems like it sort of captures both of what we're saying. The relationship is almost taken for granted, which on the one hand means that there's a little bit of stability there, but it also means it's not important. It's not not a thing that's being worked on. Uh, Remind me, is this Kaniger? No, this is Broom and Fox. Checks out for Fox. And and a, a little bit of Fox is, I think, the case. I think any time that there's like a full issue story, I think it's always Broom and I think the backup Which ones are the stronger are sometimes ones. Fox. Yeah, I felt, oh man, I did not feel good. I did not feel good about it when I was looking back through because uh, we've talked about, <laughs> you have talked about there being like some bullshit solutions to things. And man, that was the thing that kept coming through. And it's like, oh no, that's Gardner Fox. He's he he is Gardner Foxing really hard in these, um, and I think this I think it is because you look back at Joan and uh, Jay, their relationship was kind of similar to the way Iris and Barry is written, and that feels like a Gardner Fox thing. Whereas yeah. John Broom, who is writing Green Lantern, I don't know. I think he writes the best version of their relationship, but it's still not the same. Um, it's, 
It's not my favorite. That's fair. For for where these characters eventually go. Yeah. To one of the more steadfast relationships in the DC universe. Seeing Iris reduced to, well, Barry, you better put in the effort if you want to be my husband kind of a character. Or there's a story that we get to in, in a little bit. Um, actually, it's it's the next issue, um, which is uh, Flash number 146, August 1964. Uh, Barry is enrolled in a success course, like an after-hours adult success course to kind of just like improve himself. Apropos of nothing, Iris tells him he better be yeah, top of the class that's a good point and i was just like why this is his extracurricular personal development why are you putting an expectation on his personal growth that felt very strange and out of the blue and then when he does get top of the class she's surprised that was like the weirdest interaction for the two of them for me i was like this is weirdly antagonistic and she was pushing, she was the one who pushed him to take it because he, I remember him saying, like, narration box being, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm doing the Flash thing. I'm, I'm as successful as I want to be. Yeah, right. I kind of forgot about that story. So that's, that is, I think, one of the main reasons I was kind of like, I don't really like her, her depiction this year because it's very, it's very adversarial. She's not an antagonist, but she's definitely something for him to deal with. Yeah. And that feels, one, disrespectful to Iris as a character, two, disrespectful to their relationship. Like I said, again, if it just gets wrapped up without any real focus, it's not that important. It just feels strange to me. The rest of that story, Mirror Master is also in the same success course, and he uses mirrors to like kind of brainwash everybody into not being able to remember him explaining how he outwitted the Flash earlier. And Flash pieces together that they've been, like, brain-paused for a little bit based off of some clues around the room, and Barry takes out Mirror Master. It was kind of a fun story, save for that weird Iris bit. Um, yeah. This was actually one that had a solution that I liked of, that, as you say, like, he noticed, hey, there's, like, four cigarettes in that ashtray. There weren't a minute ago. And it's like, shit, okay, that rules. <laughs> Yeah, he's a he's a detective. He does he's a police scientist. He does detection work. I thought it was a really strong issue for Barry or a strong story for Barry. It was very weak for Iris, which felt yeah. very strange. Um, the the second story here, uh, Flash goes to the future because Iris wants pictures of the end of the world. So Flash travels forward in time to witness the end of the world, take a picture, and on his time travel trip, he touches some goop, and it makes his hands able to age things until they die. He's got, like, killing hands, and when he comes back to the normal uh, present time, he's trying to figure out how to fix it, and the solution is to eat oats. There is a scientific study that shows like oats that have been dormant for like centuries, if not millennia, can still be planted and grow. And the scientists are like, what if you eat these things that like will still survive if they age? Do you think that maybe that would cure you? Like it's very like, I don't know, throw shit at a wall and see if it sticks. And it works. Um, hooray for grains. Um, <laughs> It was such a. It was such a like. What oh, is yeah. like? That better be a Gardner Fox one. It is. Um, yeah. Good. That's what I. That's what I fucking thought. Because um, here we go. Here's a much better. Here's actually my favorite issue. Flash number one forty seven, September nineteen sixty four. 
the recently reformed Mr. Element, who used Hell to be yeah. like Dr. Alchemy, who was a, a bad guy for Flash, who has been kidnapped and is reforming and is now friends with Barry Allen. Him and uh, Mr. Element's uh, girlfriend and himself are friends with Barry and Iris. This was also the best version of Iris, mind you, because she's mm-hmm. supportive and helpful and like is not an antagonist, is not an obstacle. She's written as someone who's there to help. And there's an even a situation at which we're... Um, Mr. Element is brainwashed by Professor Zoom who comes, who uses like an astral projection to go back in time to be like, Mr. Element, I need you to make a unique element for me that will allow me to have my speed force again because Flash took it from me. And Element's like, no, I'm reformed. I don't want to do that. And Zoom kind of brainwashes him into doing it. And Mr. Element's girlfriend is like, gosh, I don't know where he is. I'm really worried, and Barry's kind of concerned too. And I was like, Barry, you know him. You know he's reformed. He wouldn't do anything like this. I don't. I don't see him being a bad guy again. And Iris is a sounding board for him to help him remind to be reminded that the guy, Mister Element, is actually a good guy now. And if he's doing something wrong, something must be something bad must be happening. I liked and- that Iris was like, no you need to remember that this is a thing. And I was like, that's a good bit for Iris to show up and be like part of his life and show knowledge and, sh- and, and be supportive. Um, and so Barry fights off Zoom. They imprison him in the future. He comes back and Mr. Element has returned all the stuff that he stole in the effort to um, help Zoom and has like is waiting for Flash in his old lair where Zoom took him to and he's like I'm ready to turn myself in and Flash is like I'm not going to arrest you because you obviously were under duress you were being controlled you did not want to do this I will not arrest you and he returns and they all go out to dinner again and I was like this is a nice fun complete story this is good this was a fun interesting use of the powers it had pathos there was emotional angst Barry, like there was lore that was recovered from like obviously like Mr. Element came back. There was prior character development that was maintained. This was good. This was fun. This was a nice issue. And it was a John Broom one. Telling you, man. Yeah. Broom. Um, yeah. Flash uh, number 148, November 1964. Captain Boomerang's old cellmate has been spying on him now that they're both out of prison and is stealing all the heists that boomerang tries to do and is com- and he's <laughs> getting blamed for it he's completely flummoxed as to how he keeps getting beaten out for all these treasures um and flash throws them both back in jail um this is a weird one but this is a very gardner fox um twilight zone bullshit uh a dead man warns flash that another man that uh, the dead man framed for embezzlement is in danger because some criminals thought the the patsy was actually in possession of the money that he quote-unquote embezzled and they're taking him out into the woods to like find the money that he doesn't know exists and they might kill him if he doesn't have it so the guy's ghost tells flash you better save this guy that i framed for embezzling so flash goes out saves that guy and that guy's like you gotta stop my brother from also being a criminal flash is like all right fine saves the brother from being a criminal and then goes to talk to the guy and he finds out that, like, ah, oh, this guy's been dead for, like, 48 hours and you were visited by a ghost. It's very... This was really stupid. <laughs> like, this was... This was a weird, like... Sure. It was sure. very much a tonal mismatch with other yeah. things. 
Like it was, it, it actually Absolutely. felt most of a piece with the uh, melancholy, man, I'm walking on the beach at the end of the world to take a picture. But other than yeah, that, like it those, just is very out there. It was very strange. I didn't, I don't know. The Also the weird sort of like narrative, like, ah, yes, the immutable nature of man's soul. Do you believe yeah. in it? Reader? I was like, this is, what is this? Like, <laughs> I was like, hey, put this in Phantom Stranger. Put this in somebody else's book. This would fit a lot better. Don't put this in the weird science character's book. This just felt very out of place to me. Um, put it in Batman. Yeah, honestly, Flash is just such a science-focused character. Whereas Batman plays in some weird spaces. Or where it plays in... Batman plays in indistinct places. Yeah. This was just a very strange, like, what is... You got your chocolate and my peanut butter and it did not work. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. I, um, I kind of liked it, but it's very out of place. Here's the thing. It's fine, not for this character. Yeah, I'll agree with that. This could have been a fine Challengers of the Unknown story. Yeah. yeah. There are other characters this would have worked better for. This th- this was not it. This This felt like Gardner Fox had a leftover idea and he shoved it into Flash. I oddly enough, at least DC Wikia says this is a broom one. Interesting. You know what, broom? You get you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. You're breaking even tonight. Last story we're going to talk about: Flash number one forty nine, December nineteen sixty four. Kid Flash gets amnesia after getting zapped by bad guys in another dimension, and after stopping them, Flash reveals his identity at super speed on television to uh, cure Kid Flash of his amnesia. And Kid Flash was like, "Oh my God, why did you reveal your your identity on TV?" And he's like, "I knew you were the only person fast enough to see it." And once you saw it, your memories would come back. Um, this is very much a uh, entrapment cover issue of Flash revealing himself on the television, uh, taking off his mask to be like, oh my god, Flash reveals his identity. And it's like, you guys, come on, don't mislead us like that. Um, last story, this one was so silly. Abracadabra imbues Flash with his own magic, um, and Flash can't control the magic that he's been given. So Abra basically says, like, I'll make you a deal. I'll take the magic out of you if you give me your speed force. Flash is like, no, and screws up magic so much until he beats up Abracadabra and then puts the magic in an ordinary lamp and doesn't destroy the lamp. Just kind of has it. And I'm like, dude, that's Abracadabra's source of power. Blow the lamp up. Like, you've now officially could take all of his ability. Just destroy it. Just break it. You would have won forever if, if you did the right thing. But... Alas, uh, that's our last story that we have uh, for today. Some hits, some misses, some good issues, some meh issues. Um, I think the thing we talked about with Iris is kind of like, I think, I think I see your point that the lack of constantly dealing with their relationship shows a level of stability in their relationship. But there is a constant undercurrent of Barry being disappointing that I find concerning. Yeah. If this were how things were frequently for them, it would be a deeply concerning, oh, this is your dynamic. It's a little bit combative, even at even if it's just at first contact. It's yeah, it's Iris's friends tell her to dump Barry all the time. Mm. One thousand percent Iris's friends don't like Barry. Like, she always tells him stories like he was late again, and they're like, again, girl, dump him. Yeah. He's really nice. 
He's really thoughtful, but he doesn't make it work. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he he definitely is either not present constantly. He doesn't show up when he says he will. Oftentimes he cancels to go do police work. They have a very strained relationship, but they are committed to being together. And it's kind of a weird dynamic. I, I'm going to ask an odd question. What do sure. Iris's parents do historically? To my knowledge, and well, actually, in the Flash television show, Iris's dad is a cop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a police detective and works That's with right. Barry. Um, so he knows Barry Allen. Um, mother is unknown. Father does... Father? He's like Ken. He does beach. <laughs> okay. Cause uh, it... Yeah. He's a guy. I think he's a villain Fair. in the comics. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. Um, nah, he it... seems to not be yeah a relevant thing. Yeah, like it... In the Arrowverse, him, like, her dad being a cop, and especially a detective, I, I could see maybe there's a little more like, oh, this is just how it is. But without that grounding in the comics, yeah, it feels especially weird. Well, yeah. In The Flash, he knows Barry's The Flash before That's Iris right. does. Yeah. I think I watched the first, like, half season of that. He helps him maintain the secret identity, but also, like, they have tons of conversations about, like, being honest, being the bedrock of a relationship, being reliable is important, like, commitment. Like, that is an interesting relationship. Honestly, I really liked Iris's dad, you know, and Barry as a a Mm. couple of characters, and their relationship I thought was very strong. Um, It is a very strange thing. Like, like um, Joan, um, the Adams girlfriend, her dad's a scientist. He likes that uh, Ray is a scientist. Uh, Carol's dad loves Hal. You know, like they're he, he's his best pilot. He likes him. Um, Bruce has no love life because all of his girlfriends either die or move on. Um, but we know his. One of his girlfriend's dads loves him. Thanks, Ra's al Ghul. Um, Lois Lane's dad is a four-star general, if I remember correctly. Doesn't really like Clark. Hates Superman. So it's like, eh. So Iris' parents being non-existent is a little strange. But also, I get the impression that Iris would not listen to her parents. Not because she's like a bad daughter, but just because she's very headstrong. Yeah, if she just if she made a decision, she would stick with it. Kind of a person, so it's like you know, mom, dad, you can't tell me what to do with my love life. I love Barry. Same thing with her girlfriends, who are probably like girl dump him. She's probably like, you don't know him like I do. Yeah, you know, <laughs> more more like uh, in my mind, it's what does she, what is she used to? What is the structure that she has modeled or seen modeled? What is the familial What is the familial dynamic that she she bases her relationship on? Yeah. Um, the answer is none in the Silver Age, <laughs> which and Barry's got a shit one too because his mom's dead and his dad was yeah. framed for killing his mom. So it's not like he's got a great you know relationship and, to base it off. And, and all of this is coming from the fact that the writers just find it funny because it is ironic that the guy who has super speed is late to things. That's where all right. of that comes from. <laughs> like that gag is fine. 
that gag, it, you can get mileage out of that gag as long as Iris works with it. I saw yeah. a, a page from a Spider-Man comic recently where he's dating Black Cat for some reason. And he shows up on time to a date between the two. And he's like, yeah, like, I'm really surprised. I'm, 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 I'm on time. She's like, just as I thought, Peter. You know, Peter forever late, Parker. I snuck into your house last night while you were asleep. I changed your phone to be half an hour earlier. <laughs> Your, your your watch to be half an hour faster so I so you would make it on time and I'm like that's funny yeah like if Iris did stuff where she like messed with his alarm clock so that he'd show up on time or his watch I think that would be hilarious because it would be a it would be accepting that he's always late but making it work yeah not holding it against him acknowledging that this is a thing about him that she's just not going to change and she'll make it work for her situation by taking matters into her own hands so they can go to dinner on time okay or i made reservations for five i made two reservations barry one for 5 30 and one for six because i knew you wouldn't make the 5 30 let's go and like that would like mm. if that was their relationship 100 it would be fine she's like I am not going to let your lateness stop us from having a good time. But I want you to know that I know. <laughs> yeah. Is kind of the person that I think Iris is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on board with that read. That would be more satisfying. It, it would just paint her in a better light. Yeah. I dislike the shrewish, harpy nag girlfriend archetype that she is very close to straying into i'll agree with that and i don't want that to happen to her for the sake of a gag about barry being constantly late we do not see them happy enough times to counterbalance yeah. the amount of time she's annoyed that's very true and i think that like we don't see them going out a lot we don't see them actually having successful dates we see them up to the date or after the date we never see them on the date to yeah. see what their actual dynamic is when they're together that's a fair point so i just i wish i wish we got more of that to really get to understand her more as a character and to give her her due because she's a good she's a good character she's a good person you know i like her as a character i just wish they weren't doing whatever this is with her again that could also just be me coming down off of the dibneys you know, and that's hard to compare to when you have a relationship that is meant to work out and so loving and so stable that you come to a secret identity-based relationship where conflict is constant. But I feel like it doesn't have to be like this. We hope for better. And we know it gets better eventually. It's just a question of when. Uh, yeah. Speaking of having having different reads on things based off of where you are in time. Uh, one of the things that's been really interesting is I'm going to do a digression to Sonic the Hedgehog. As we have Please talked do. about on this podcast, uh, I grew up reading the Sonic the Hedgehog comics and that was my first big like comics franchise because there were the, not just the super specials that would come out every couple months, but also like, Knuckles the Echidna was a miniseries for, I mean, I say miniseries, but actually it was, uh, it wound up being like 28 issues or something. Uh, and so for me, that was, that was my grounding in comics to a large degree where I learned to read comics. One thing that's really fascinating now that we're especially reading Flash comics is 
man, the experience of being an adult who read Sonic comics as a kid is realizing where they pulled inspiration from. And they're the obvious ones like Flash. Hey, just basically every move that the Flash does, Sonic has done at some point. Specifically, issue number 50, big, cool, climactic fight. It's got the after images. It's got the after images of modulating his speed at just the right times to draw fire. And it's, oh, oh, that's what that's from. Fair. Uh, but also, this is one that it's not directly flash related but i have to share it because it it has been shaping for me uh so many of the old sonic super specials that they do every couple months uh and story arcs were named after old novels and just pulling from the canon and sometimes that sometimes there are also comic things like there was a phantom zone or something equivalent of it but sometimes it was brave new world between like one sentence of lit crit that i read uh about brave new world with no context of what the story was about and the particular sonic uh super special that was titled brave new world i had i spent years of my life probably maybe not 10 probably but maybe like six or seven years of my life with the completely wrong idea of what brave new world was about i thought it was about mutants emerging after into an, a post-apocalyptic uh, environment and rebuilding ruined cities uh and this is what happens when you when writers get a little bit artsy and the people reading it just do not have the context to get the references <laughs> oh yeah Speaking of uh, mm -hmm. references, there was a good Flash of Two Worlds reference um, with the cover art for the issue with You're Zoom right. and Flash. You're right. Uh, running, running to save, running to apprehend in their various for various purposes, uh, Mister Element, which I thought was really cute. Which was just like, ah, yes, the cover is basically the Flash of Two Worlds cover uh, with Jay and Barry, except this time it's Eobard and Barry running towards Mr. Element. And I was like, that's fun. Like that's that a good, lot. Yeah. Um, I love that they're already referencing that historic moment in comics. <laughs> just, we're never going to not reference flash of two worlds and neither should they. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I didn't talk about it earlier. I liked the kid flash stories. I thought they were, I thought they were fun. They were appropriately, uh, unoffensive. Mm -hmm. they were a child superhero doing child superhero things perfectly teen titan appropriate again showcasing that wally is incredibly capable and yeah. able to handle his shit without his mentor being around unless he unless he gets amnesia <laughs> like, <laughs> turns out yeah and that Hopping back a step in the conversation, uh, the bit about the Flash of Two Worlds reference is actually a good springboard to the other big, the, the big thing that I've been chewing on for the last, really the last bit. One of the things about this being the, A, the only media crit podcast that I'm on, and B, the only podcast that I'm on, uh, <laughs> is that I, this becomes a spot where I can sort of ruminate on things that are not necessarily restricted to but tangentially, at least partly apply to what we're reading. And it's, it is continuity. There are specific things in here that stood out to me. A lot of narration boxes of see this issue for that. Uh, and it'll have like little like recap like panels of, oh, this is when 
Mirror Master did this, or I think there was like a sequence of those for uh, for Boomerang. Mr. Element. Uh, it was Mr. And, Element. There was a couple for Captain Boomerang too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting to me because it this is continuity. It is on the most like technical definition that is continuity, but but it's not. It's not the way we. I at least think of continuity and I, I had to do some thinking about more. What do I mean when I talk about continuity? What, what is, I'm going to put in air quotes, good continuity. Uh, and with the understanding that my view on that is absolutely shaped by my moment and what my personal, uh, preferences. Uh, this is being written for kids in the 1950s, 60s. Uh, but I, I wound up thinking especially about it in the context of Zeta Gundam. And I really like Zeta Gundam. It is a continuity-heavy show in a lot of ways. But even if the world is changing, the char- and the characters do change, the characters aren't always consistent. They, there is a frequency with which they react to situations in the way that the plot demands, rather than oh, you react, like, you had this moment of development, the show treated you as, oh, you are a pilot who learned to be a better pilot, and you were previously, oh, you're the one who gets in trouble. Okay, you've made that advancement. And then, and then it treats the same character as being the vulnerable one who does not, who doesn't have it together, who is, well, frankly, unfortunately, the way Gundam tends to portray the girl. Unfortunately, that is a thing, and with, uh, especially early Gundam. Uh, Go watch Witch for Mercury. It's really good. But Zeta Gundam and early UC Gundam, uh, that era of stuff, has that thing. As compared to now, when I think of a continuity-heavy story, like I either either think of something like Adventure Time, or especially I think of Steven Universe, Owl House, even to a degree, like I guess Adventure Time and Gravity Falls in the same space. So I... All of which is to say, I did some thinking about what do I mean when I think about continuity, and I, I, I feel like this is a little more refined. I think there are four different axes of continuity to me. The first is, does the work like call back to previous installments, which is exactly what we've got right now, uh, but also, does the status quo change in a way that changes the character's situations, like especially the protagonist's? Does the status quo change in a way that changes the character's way of behaving? And then finally, are the situations, the individual stories that happen, are they explorations of that status quo at its current state? Or are they kind of, you know, like the writer wanted to write a thing. And the, the line I use is the status quo is paint to tell whatever story the writer wants to tell. And with under this model, like I, that kind of sharpens things a little bit for me, like because we do have sometimes the status quo changes distantly from the characters. The core status quo of the characters rarely changes, but we do occasionally get, hey, like Mara marries Arthur. Okay, that happens. Mm-hmm. Protagonist doesn't change, but character adjacent to them really does uh, and their way of behaving. But mostly we just get kind of callbacks and not situation changes. 
but that is what they're doing. Like to them, that seems to be what's important is the work is internally consistent uh, in a way where we won't get letters saying, oh, you forgot about X, Y, Z. Characters being a little inconsistent? Eh, not as much because they're super shallow. They're not changing in meaningful ways. Uh, whereas when I think about like uh, Zeta Gundam, it, it has most of these, but it isn't consistently changing the way those characters behave, which unfortunately is a major issue with Zeta. Uh, I, I definitely agree that these comics are currently in a state of nothing shall ever alter the character so that they are constantly marketable as the exact same character for a long time. Mm-hmm. But everything around them can alter so that the same character can interact in different ways with changing environment around them. It's still going to be the same guy. Adam Strange is going to yeah. be Adam Strange. But the Zeta Beam might not be a problem anymore. Or he's going to get married to Alana, But he's still going to be Adam Strange. You can always count on him being the same guy. And I think you're absolutely right that a lot of this is Flash is going to be the same. But maybe he's got Kid Flash now. Or Hal Jordan is still going to be Hal Jordan. But the Green Lantern Corps exists now. He's still mm-hmm. Hal Jordan, so you can still rely on him to act the way that you want him to, but now he deals with new stuff. However, in your axes of uh, continuity, I would say that Venture Brothers is smack dab in the center of that, and is an excellent uh, case of all four of those levels of continuity orbiting a singular story uh, On if the more you rewatch it. Uh, real quick, just things that... <laughs> Things that I found entertaining. Uh, just going to rattle some stuff off really quick. Uh, the map of the U.S. is really weird. There's a point where it shows a map. I think in the uh, the guy, the ghost story, there's a map of the U.S. where the West Coast is just like a jagged vertical line. And the East, like Florida, looks like the Korean Peninsula. It's very strange. It's really weird. <laughs> uh, no one ever said comics artists were good at geography. Yeah. Uh, there's a rich person whose hobby is collecting the crown jewels of fallen kingdoms. That's cool and interesting. Ooh. It's also uh, imperialism. Yeah. Uh. Uh, Mirror Master has in the when they're taking the class, he's got like a really cool like checkered suit, glasses, and cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks good. He he looked very fashionable, and I enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, almost a little Elton John, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Except That's who he I looked guess like. Straight Elton John is probably the that alternate universe version because it's not. It it, it looks like kind of sixties in the sixties a little bit cool, uh, and that kind of like facial structure that I can think of. Yeah, and that will wrap up my stuff. Awesome. In terms of recommendations, I finished uh, Ghost of Tsushima. Oh yeah, uh, about a week ago. Really, really love that. Really, really liked that game. Uh, really happy with it. I played the DLC. Really liked it. Highly recommended if you if you haven't played that yet. Um, worth worth the uh, the money. Worth the play. Worth the time. I also finished the audiobook of Jim Ross's autobiography. One of one oh, of yeah. two autobiographies. Slobberknocker. Really interesting book about the wrestling industry. About his entire life story. I'm on his second book now. Under the Black Hat which literally picks up right where the Slobberknocker left off. Because I believe that was when he ended his career in WWE and then wrote another memoir. 
Um, so very good books. Um, they're uh, if you get them as audiobooks, they are narrated by him. Uh, so it's basically just listening to a guy tell stories about his life, and it's kind of kind of lovely. He's not the best out loud reader um because i think his like cadence is a little funky but i just like that like you can tell when he gets into the story even though it's like his own story <laughs> it's just kind of it's kind of endearing i actually really enjoy it and i'm gonna recommend zeta gundam i think it's on crunchyroll uh i think it it might also be on the youtube channel uh gundam info or something uh, i believe both sub and dub uh look the of the Gundams that are out that I have watched, Gundam 0079, original Gundam, is really good. Just straight up, really good. Same with Witch from Mercury. Gundam Zeta is good. It's not as good, but it is more interesting to me. It is trying to do more things. It is introducing more, especially from the world-building side. Honestly, that is what I find most compelling. And some of the long-running, oh, shit, a new faction is slowly coming on the stage and the politicking around that. There's a lot that's really implied in Gundam that if you just, the way I've been thinking about it is Zeta Gundam is a show that I really enjoy having watched and thought about a bunch, stopped thinking about, eventually started thinking about again recently. And I just, the little bit of extra fuzziness to, frankly, to forget certain characters to not be caught up in the episode by episode man there's some inconsistencies here uh that makes it work better in my mind and i think i am i am richer for having watched it and having those takeaways but yeah it's it it is a little bit of a bumpy road along the way but i do think it is a worthwhile one and be absolutely clear that you know what you're getting into with gundam double zeta uh I got, I got it. I just, I got it really quick. Uh, so Gundam Zeta, it has a particular tone throughout. It is kind of grim. It is politicking. It is bad things happen. Uh, and it, it ends and immediately Gundam Double Zeta picks up, it is a, which is a sequel series. Both of them are 52 episode series. Gundam Double Zeta starts off as a schlocky comedy. And it's not a terrible one of those. It's enjoyable, but it's an incredible whiplash. And then about halfway through its run, it goes back to a very similar tone to Gundam Zeta, and I'm told even more so. And I am, Mm. like, I just saw, I'm, like, midway through, and I just saw the, like, next time on for the next episode, I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, I remember where we were, like, 15 episodes ago, and we were not, this, this? Okay, we're doing this. <laughs> it's wild. Gundam. It's weird. <laughs> oh, Gundam. All right. I think that is it for us. We are going to finish off uh, with some more Flash right after this episode. And then we're going to do some Green Lantern. I'm excited for that. Excited for after Green Lantern because then we get to Justice League. It will feel a little bit better. Or do we we go past Justice League because we start with Justice League. We get everybody That's in. right, yeah. That's right. That's what we do. So we don't do that. We, we go from Green Lantern to something else, but maybe we'll hit Metamorpho. We'll see. We'll hit the Hawks, definitely. I'm excited to see what's going on with the Hawks. Um, all right. Thank you all for listening. We hope we're having a good day, evening, night, whatever you happen to be listening to this on, and we'll see you all next time.
DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We were having a fitful time in Central City. Some of the magic had gone, with complications between Iris and Barry, and Gardner Fox just not delivering the kinds of inventive but grounded solutions that we were used to. We still had another round of investigations before we'd leave the Flash. Maybe something would pick up for us?